This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. At the half hour, we'll hear another tale of woe offered up by William Bendix in The Life of Riley. Meanwhile, let's get things underway with a visit to the Old West with James Stewart, who portrays cowboy Brett Ponsett, the guy who's fast on the draw. In fact, that fast draw has earned him a great deal of respect by outlaws and townsfolk alike. James Stewart was an American actor known for his distinctive draw and every, uh, every man's screen persona. Stewart's film career spanned 80 films from 1935 to 1991. With the strong morality he portrayed both on and off the screen, he epitomized the American ideal in the 20th century. In 1999, the American Film Institute ranked him third on its list of the greatest American male actors. He was born and raised in Indiana, Pennsylvania. He started acting while studying at Princeton University. After graduating in 1932, he began a career as a stage actor, appearing on Broadway and in summer stock productions. In 1935, he landed his first of several supporting roles in movies, and in 1938, he had his big breakthrough in Frank Capra's ensemble comedy, You Can't Take It With You. The following year, Stewart garnered his first of five Academy Award nominations for his portrayal of an idealized and virtuous man who becomes a senator in Capper's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. That's one of my favorite movies. So, let's hear the episode of The Six Shooter entitled Escape from Smoke Falls, starring James Stewart. In just a moment, you'll hear James Stewart as the six-shooter, only one of the many fine programs brought to you Sundays on NBC. Each Sunday, listen to the music of the NBC Symphony Orchestra broadcasting from Carnegie Hall. Hear the amusing adventures of Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy in The Marriage, and tune to the NBC Star Playhouse for the nation's greatest stars. It's a lineup of wonderful programs, all of them heard only on NBC. James Stewart as the six-shooter. The man in the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl. Its handle unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. The NBC Radio Network presents James Stewart as The Six Shooter, a transcribed series of radio dramas based on the life of Britt Ponsett, the Texas plainsman who wandered through the Western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends. 
Now, in just a moment, immediately following this important announcement, you'll hear Act One of The Six Shooter. A Christmas gift with a future. That's how everyone feels about a gift of United States savings bonds. Because when those bonds mature, they pay back $4 for every $3 invested. What's more, they can be held as long as 10 years beyond maturity and earn even further interest. Give a gift of United States savings bonds. Now, Act One of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart. expected to stay over in Smoke Falls, but when I stopped off to see old Dad Somerset and found him all crippled up with lumbago, well, I, of course, he didn't ask me to look after his stock, but I could see he sure wanted me to, so... Well, a couple of weeks later, I... he began feeling better, so I started thinking about moving on. It was nearly five o'clock in the afternoon that day. The sun just spilled over the top of Eagle Mountain. When the buckboard pulled into the yard. Mr. Ponson? Oh, evening, ma'am. Mr. Ponson, I'm Grace Proudly. Oh, pleased to meet you, Miss Proudly. I've been meaning to come out and see how Mr. Somerset's been getting along, but I just never have a minute's free time. It's canning season, you know. Yes, ma'am. Well, Dad's feeling much better. If you'd like to talk to him, he's no, right in. No, no, just say that I asked for him. As a matter of fact, it's you I want to talk to, Mr. Ponson. Oh? You see, I'm president of the Ladies' Aid Society of Smoke Falls. Uh-huh. We're affiliated with the church and do lots of charity work, Christmas baskets and things like that, you know. All the best ladies in town are members, and we don't just take in everybody either. Well, now, I... Now, this I... is what I'm getting at, Mr. Ponson. Tonight's our box supper and square dance. It's an annual event. Mr. Simpling always loans us his barn for the occasion. I've spent the whole afternoon helping with the decorations. Now, Polly Sullivan, that's Wade Sullivan's wife, she's chairman of the decorating committee, but since I'm president, I felt it was my duty to give her a hand. That's what made me so late coming out here to ask you. To ask me? Uh... About attending the supper. Oh, oh. No, well, I'm not going to take no for an answer. Oh, but Miss Proudly. To tell you I... the truth, I. Well, I've already told folks you were planning to come. Oh, but you shouldn't have done that. Now, Miss after Proudly. all, you're practically the first celebrity we've ever had in Smoke Falls. The auction starts at 7.30. You won't be late, will you, Mr. Ponson? Oh, but. And Miss one more Proudly. thing, would you mind wearing your gun? The men folks are especially interested in that. Get up, Sheba. Come on, Sullivan. Oh, Remember? but uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Miss Proud. Uh. Say there, Miss Proudly. Oh, dear. Well, after I gave Dad his supper, I washed my face and wet down my hair and started off for old man Simpling's barn. When I got there, Miss Proudly met me at the door and introduced me around... The only name that sank in was her daughter, Ellen. Pretty girl. I figured that when the box supper sheet pack was put up for sale, the bidding would be mighty serious. All right, everybody, we're ready to begin the auction. We don't want the music now, Wilbur. Wilbur! Now, just gather around the table here so you can get a good look at what you're buying. But remember, you can't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> now, which one shall we 
we start? Oh, my, look at this one. Pretty pink ribbon and white tissue paper. Why, I'll just bet you there's a whole fried chicken inside this box. Now, who's going to make the first bid? A dollar, 50 cents. Don't forget, gentlemen, a pretty lady's company goes with the supper. I'll give a nickel. <laughs> now, Spud Hooker, you stop joshing. You know we don't take any bid less than the court. Now, who offer a quarter just to get things underway? Look at this lovely box. Just think some nice young lady spent the whole day fixing it up. And she'll be too tired to dance. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Twenty-five cents. Why, it costs more than that. The auction was kind of slow in picking up momentum. But when Mrs. Proudly started in to make the third sale, well, there wasn't much doubt whose supper she was selling. Ellen Proudly sort of reddened in the cheeks and tried to look unconcerned. I saw her give somebody a glance on the other side of the room, almost like a signal. Couldn't tell who it was intended for, but there were two fellas standing over there. Spud Hooker is one, tall, husky, about 25. He'd been cracking jokes and acting sort of like he owned the place. The other boy is kind of a different sort. He's thinner, shorter. He hadn't opened his mouth since I got there. Now, let's see if you can't do a little better this time, gentlemen. Here's the next supper. Oh, boy. My, it looks familiar. Oh, I guess I shouldn't have said anything, should I? Ellen will just about murder me when I get home. Well, as long as the cat's out of the bag, I might as well go ahead with the sale. Fifty cents. Bud Hooker, bid fifty cents. A supper like this ought to be worth more than half a dollar. A little bird told me there's a chocolate cake inside. Uh, uh, Seventy-five cents, ma'am. I've got seventy-five. Now, what about it, Spud? You're not going to let Tom Liver it out, did you? Dollar. One dollar. I'm bid one silver dollar. Who'll give a dollar and a quarter? Dollar and a quarter. Don't forget, gentlemen, it's all for charity. Dollar and a half. Now we're getting somewhere. I'm bid a dollar and fifty cents. Spud Hooker offers a dollar and fifty cents. Are there any more bids? Two dollars. You're bidding two dollars, Tom? Yes, ma'am. Three dollars. Oh, three? That's what I said. Well, now we all appreciate your enthusiasm, boys. But remember, this isn't the only supper you can buy. It's so the only one I'm buying, and I'll take it right... Four dollars. Huh? Well, all right, all right. Going once, going twice, and it's sold. Five dollars. Now, uh, now, Spud, are I'll you sure? Six dollars, Miss Proudly. You're oh. making a fool of yourself, Leverett. Ellen wants to eat with me. My, my bid, six dollars. Seven. Now, boys. Ten. Oh, now, you don't mean that, Tom. You can't afford ten dollars. No, I mean it. Well, all right. I bid ten dollars. Are there any more bids? Going once. Going twice? Go ahead, sell it to him. It ain't gonna do him no good. Now we don't want any trouble, Spud. Ellen's my girl, and she's eating with me. I'll take that box, Miss Proudly. Here's your money. Didn't you hear what I said? She's eating with me. Get out of the way, Spud. You're not man enough to make me move. Now give me that box, or I'll take it away from you. Okay, Tom, you hurt me. No! Hold on there. Just a minute here. Now, hold on. It don't concern you, Plunkett. No, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't concern me. It just seems to me that there ought to be a better place for settling things. That's all. Uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Plunkett's right, Spud. Let's... Let's go out. Hey, hey, where's Britt Plunkett? 
Dad Somerset said he was over here. Yeah, I'm uh, Fawcett. Oh, uh, Miss Fawcett, uh, Sheriff Tinsmith told me to find you. What's the matter, Jake? Dink Falk just broke out of jail. Oh, yeah, yes. He, he shot the sheriff in the back while he was getting away. Oh, he did. Hey, well, we, we took him over to Doc Foster's, and he's bleeding pretty bad. He, he wants to talk to Mr. Fawcett before... Well, before he... I'll get my horse. Got here, Brett, before. Now, now, what are you talking about, Ray? You're going to be all right. The doc says you'll be back on your feet again inside of a week or so. I don't know what I was thinking of. Letting Dent Falk get hold of my gun while I was serving the supper. Must be... Must be getting careless, my old age. Now, well, you're not the first man to have trouble with Falk. He had a pretty fancy reputation, from what I hear. Yeah, that's... That's why I had to see you, Brett. My fault he got loose, and I... I don't want other folks to pay for my mistakes. What do you mean? I know this town, Brett. They'll... I'll get a posse together and start after Falk. Well, let's... And they'll catch him, too. But going out in a crowd like that, he'll hear him coming. Falk's a wildcat killer, Brett. When he's cornered, he won't give up. Pick off three or four of the posse before they... Can close in. Well, not if they're careful. That's the trouble, though. Fellas here ain't cautious. They're bullheaded. But, but you'd know how to take him, Brett. No, I, I ain't saying it's your duty. You don't even live in Smoke Falls, but you could capture Falk without him having a chance to. No, no, to... I'm afraid you're giving me too much credit, Ray. If I, you want somebody to go along. Any of the boys? Sure, I know that. I'd be mighty grateful, Brett. Folks here have been good to me. Wouldn't like to leave them thinking that because of me, because of what I did, some of them was going to... No, 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 you better take it easy. Just take it easy. I know, it's asking a lot. Folks, a good shot. A wildcat killer. It's asking... We'll return to James Stewart as the six-shooter in just a moment. Recently, the American Red Cross was called on for immediate and dramatic expansion of its part in the National Blood Program, was asked to make available all the gamma globulin possible for the prevention of paralysis from polio. Experiments conducted over the past two years have demonstrated the effectiveness of this treatment. It takes approximately one pint of blood to make an average dose of gamma globulin as used for polio. And one injection protects a child for a period of one to five weeks. Therefore, there is a tremendous need for blood donations now, so that we may be able to do our utmost to safeguard our children during the epidemic period next summer. At the same time, there has been no let-up in the need for blood for use overseas and for the thousands of wounded men in our military hospitals who are still fighting for a chance to live. If you are an adult, call your local Red Cross chapter right away. Get an appointment to make a donation of your blood for the National Blood Program, which aims to supply the total blood needs of the country. Join the thousands of Americans who are rolling up their sleeves. 
take pride in having helped save a life. Now, Act Two of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart as Britt Ponson. Sheriff Tinsmith had been right about the town foreman of Posse. and hadn't lost any time. Spud Hooker was taking charge. I was kind of surprised to see that Tom Leverett was along. But I figured he and Hooker sort of joined forces for the time being. How is he, Ponset? Well, he passed out a few minutes ago. Maybe it's just as well. At least he's getting some rest. Yeah, well, we're going after fault. The other boys are waiting behind the mercantile. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Looks like you've got quite a gang. I ain't got no objections to having you go along, too. Not that we need you, you understand? Yeah. Well, you coming? Well, I had a little talk with the sheriff just before he lost consciousness. He, he seemed to think that taking out a posse after Falk wasn't such a good idea. What's he want us to do, let him go scot-free? No, no. No, Sheriff Tinsmith sort of suggested maybe one or two men would have a better chance of catching him. They can make faster time, maybe sneak up on Falk unaware. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, it's okay with me. You going to be one of the boys who goes after him, Ponset? Mm, well, I haven't exactly made up my mind. You better make it up faster. I'll take somebody else. Oh, oh, I see. Uh, well, in that case, I... Oh, 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 oh. Say, uh, your name's Leverett, isn't it? That's right, Mr. Ponset. Tom Leverett. Mm-hmm. You want to ride along with me? Uh, Why, well, well, sure. Now, uh, wait a minute here. I thought you said one or two men. Mm-hmm, I did. Well, we don't need Leverett, then. Well, I tell you, I sort of figured maybe you ought to stay in town, Hooker. So if Tom and I get in trouble, well, you could bring the posse out later. Huh? You're trying to make a fool out of me, Ponset? No, no, I'm not. Everybody knows I'm twice the man Leverett is. I can ride better and shoot faster, and I'll fight him two to one. Mm-hmm. You want the credit for catching Falk yourself, don't you? Well, it ain't going to work out that way. Come on, boy. I'll find Falk myself, and I'll bring him in alone. That's all right. Hey, hey! Well, Tom, let's go, huh? Fox Trail headed west, up toward Eagle Mountain. And the moon was out, sort of a half moon, but it gave us enough light so we could follow the hoof prince Fox horse had left. Along about midnight, we spotted another trail, fresher. It couldn't have been more than a couple of minutes old. It cut in from one side and then went on ahead in the same direction Falk was riding. Ah. You see that, Tom? Yeah. Looks like Spud Hooker took a shortcut. Yeah. You reckon he'll beat us to him? Oh, you never know. Never know. If he does, he might save us some grief, wouldn't he, huh? <laughs> You're not anxious to tangle with Falk, are you, Mr. Ponson? No, no. No, I'm not anxious to tangle with anybody, Tom. But I thought, well, you brought in other outlaws before. Oh, some. Some, not as many as folks think, but uh, I've never enjoyed tangling with any of them. Why'd you pick me? Spud's right. He is twice the man I am. That's shooting, maybe. Yeah. 
But there's more to trailing a killer than being able to shoot. You know, lots of times it's more important for a man to know when not to shoot, you know. Huh? Yeah. Well, I was itching to pull a trigger like Spud. Well, he's, he's apt to pull it too soon. And, uh... Hey, look at that. The moon's going down. We might as well get some shot-eye. Oh, boy. Who's going? Uh, he couldn't see the trail anyway. Spud won't be stopping for sleep. No, no, I don't suppose he will. That's not a reason I picked you. I... I kind of... Figured he'd want to keep pushing on all night. Well, gonna I... Guy, along about this time, I just get tired. As the morning sun began gray in the sky, we started off again. Falk's trail was winding up the side of Eagle Mountain now. It was a pretty hard ride. Tom didn't complain, even though I could see he wasn't used to it. Every once in a while, he almost slid out of his saddle, but somehow he managed to hang on. About noon, we reached Little Creek, and Falk's trail gave out. The other trail, the one we figured was Hooker's, it sort of milled around in all directions and then went off on a tangent. And we climbed out from our horses and got a drink of water. Ah, it tastes good, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. You uh, ever been out this way before, Tom? Oh, yeah. Not for the last couple of years, though. Mm-hmm. Any cabins around, place a man could hide out? Well, not that I remember. Do you think we're getting close to him? Well, he could have gone on using the creek to cover his trail, but he'd have to stop pretty soon. Oh? Oh, yeah. A man can't keep riding forever. He even Dink Falk. So far, we haven't seen any signs that he made camp, you see. That's so. Giant cave. Hmm? He might be there, Britt. It's not more than a mile away due south. Giant cave? Well, you've heard of it, ain't you? No. Oh, I don't think I have. Well, it'd be a perfect spot for a man to hold up. Nobody knows for certain just how far back into the mountain the cave really goes. Some... Scientific fellows tried to explore it last summer, but, well, their lanterns gave out before they come to the end. Uh-huh. Well, it sounds like something we ought to see even a fork, isn't there? Come on, let's go and have a look. Oh, uh, that's the entrance there, Britt. Beside that slab of yellow rock. Uh-huh. I don't see any sign of Falk's trail. I guess he could have come up from the other side, though. Yeah, that's what he must have done. Huh? That pony over yonder. That clump of bushes grazing. Well, yeah, yeah, Sam. Easy, Scarl. Easy, easy, whoa, boy. You know, Jake Watson said Falk stole a sorrel when he made his getaway. Mm-hmm. Now we'd better close in on foot. Tethered our horses on a couple of spruce saplings, moved into the cave entrance. It wasn't a very big hole. We had to sort of bend over and crawl through it. But the room on the other side, that must have been a hundred feet long, fifty feet wide. The walls were sheer rock, sort of rainbow colored, so smooth you'd have thought somebody had been polishing them. And then they 
light behind us got down to a pinpoint. He wouldn't be hiding here in the dark, would he, Britt? Maybe. He heard us coming. Somebody up ahead. Yeah. You got your gun ready? Uh-huh. Now, don't use it unless you're pretty sure of hitting something. If we start shooting, it'll just help his aim. Okay. All right, now back up against the wall here behind you. Punk! We know you're in here, Punk. You go any further, you'll get lost. You'll never find your way out. Hey, you hear me, Punk? You're wasting lead. You can't see us. We know that. You can't see me neither. We don't have to. You've got to come out sooner or later and we'll be waiting. All right, we're going to leave you now, Falk. We're going outside and wait. Hey, where you are? You giving up? No, I ain't. And I ain't alone. What? I got somebody with me. Friend of yours, I reckon... We're coming out together. If you try to stop me, I'll kill him. What's he talking about? He, he ain't lying, Brett. It, it's me, Spud Hooker. Spud. I, I caught up with him last night, but he but he got the draw on me. Hold your fire, Brett. He means what he says. He'll kill me if you don't hold your fire. You've got to do what he told you, Brett. you got to. All right, Bob, come on. Start backing up towards the entrance. I don't hear you moving. Britt, please. All right, let's go, Tom. We backed out into the daylight, Tom and me, and waited for them. About a minute later, Spud Hooker marched through the mouth of the cave, half scared to death. Dink Falk was right behind him, holding a forty-five, aimed at the small of Spud's back. I was pretty sure he wouldn't hesitate to pull the trigger either. Sheriff Tinsmith was right. He's just a wildcat killer. He had that stampede look in his eyes as he stood there blinking against the sun. Same kind of a look you see in a steer when the herd's shoving him along. He can't stop or be trampled to death. Hang off your guns. Both of you. Take them off or I'll fix your friend here. Falk gave Spud a shove with his gun and he jumped forward. There was an opening now between him and Falk. The next thing I knew, Tom dived forward. Get out of Spud! Tom tackled Spud and he rolled over. The bullet missed him, but Tom was in range and he took it. Falk aimed to fire again and I managed to get my gun out. Bullet hit his thigh and spun him around. Then his leg buckled and he fell face down. He hadn't let go of the pistol yet. He started to bring it up. Drop it, Falk! For a second, his finger went right on squeezing the trigger, but... Nah, he just didn't have the strength. Tom? Tom, you all right? Sure. Yeah, it's hardly bleeding. I, I should have let Falk alone. I should have let you handle him, Britt. Well, I don't know. Looks to me like Tom did most of the handling around here. I mean, if it hadn't been for him, yeah. you know, I guess I had you figured wrong, Tom. I never thought you'd be the one to save me, but... I wasn't saving you, Spud. Huh? I don't like you. I never did. And nothing's going to change that. Then 
Why? I like Ellen. I like her a lot, but... Well, she's in love with you. If you got yourself killed, it would just hurt her. and Wouldn't do me no good. Ellen, tell you she's in love with me? She didn't have to. And she finds out what happened today. She ain't going to find out. I'm going to tell her. I'm going to tell her myself. I don't want her to know. It's for me to decide. Now listen here, Spud Hooker. You do the listening for a chance. No, I thought you I taught you a lesson last now, night, but it looks now, like... Now, 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 hold on, hold on now. Now, I think we ought to get Tom to a doctor, don't you? And if we don't, Alan won't have no way of choosing him, even if she wanted to. Now, come on, Spud. Come on, give me a hand. We tied Falk onto the back of his pony and started off for town. I sure didn't know what Alan was going to do about Spud and Tom. Oh, you never know what a woman's going to do when it comes to, you know, falling in love and marrying and all that sort of thing. But I did know one thing. Uh, that, that picking Tom to go along with me, I had been a pretty good choice. Probably could do a whole lot worse, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, the tradition of religious freedom and of religious worship in America goes back to the very founding of our country. So, in these days of world crisis, when our nation and all its citizens need spiritual strength and guidance, all of us should think again of what religion means to us and to our country, for it's religious faith that makes our way of life possible. During November, people of many faiths are joining in a great Religion in American Life campaign. So, whatever your faith may be, you are asked to join in this campaign. Be sure to attend and support the church or synagogue of your choice. And if you have children, by all means, light their life with faith. Bring them to worship this week. The Six Shooter is an NBC Radio Network production in association with Review Productions. It is based on a character created by Frank Burt, and the transcribed story is written by him. Mr. Stewart may currently be seen in the Universal International picture Thunder Bay. Others in the cast were Jeanette Nolan, Frank Gerstel, Robert Griffin, Forrest Lewis, and Sam Edwards. Special music for this program was by Basil Edwin, and the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. All characters and incidents were fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. And incidentally, a great many of our friends have written in to thank us for putting the six-shooter on the air. And a surprising number of letters have requested the name of the theme you are listening to right now and where it might be obtained. Well, we're sorry, but it is music that has been recorded exclusively for broadcast and is therefore not available for home use. But we are grateful nonetheless to all of you who have written. Your kind letters are always welcome. This is Hal Gibney speaking. Stay tuned for The Life of Riley, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for William Bendix to put on a pair of overalls and head to the aircraft factory where he works as a riveter. Although, tonight it's a family affair as we hear the story of a father and son banquet. Well, brings you The Life of Riley. 
removes unsightly dandruff in as little as three minutes and leaves hair radiantly clean, radiantly lovely, presents The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. <laughs> Chester A. Riley and his friend and co-worker Jim Gillis start bragging about their respective sons, Junior and Egbert, the superlatives fly thick and fast. At the moment, Gillis and Riley are walking home from work. All I say, Riley, is, is that you ever stop to ask yourself what kind of a boy your Junior is? My Junior? Well, he's a boyish type boy. Believe me, Riley, your Junior's a nothing. But look at my Egbert. Look at my Egbert. Look at my Egbert. Well, I've looked at your Egbert, and you've got my deepest sympathy. <laughs> Calm down, Riley. Why should we lose your temper? Well, you're always slighting my junior, and it hurts me. All I mean is, if you want your boy to amount to something, you've got to watch him when he's young. Find out what's his talent, and nourish him. Why? Why? A delicate flower won't grow unless it's fertilized. Well, my Egbert is a flower, and I'm his fertilizer. <laughs> Well, my junior's got talent, plenty of talent. Oh, yeah? What? Well, uh, 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 last summer at the beach, he swam underwater for five minutes without coming up for air. That's a talent. Oh, sure, sure. That's a fine talent. If you want him to grow up to be a barracuda. <laughs> I'm talking a talent for a career. Oh. Here, here, look at this. Sir. It's a copy of what they're going to say about my egg bite in the class yearbook. What yearbook? Didn't your junior show you his? Well, I can guess why. Yeah, well, well, well he, he'll show it to me. He, he probably didn't get this month's yearbook. I mean, he, I guess he forgot. He... Yeah, take a look. Uh, Egg Bright Gillis. Activities, president of the chemistry club. Best subject, chemistry. Prizes, aluminum medal for chemistry. Hobby, chemistry. And guess what it says on the future profession? Streetcar conductor? <laughs> Chemical engineer. Oh, sure. Chemical engineer. Why, one of these days, Egbert Gillis will be working for the DuPont Corporation. And who knows? He may marry one of the DuPont girls. Ah, will I be a proud father when I look up who's who and see my son's name, Egbert DuPont. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, I've seen my junior swim underwater for eight minutes. He almost drowned it. Face the facts, Riley. Without talent, your son ain't gonna have no future. Boy, will you sound like a dope at the father and son dinner next Monday? Well, well what father and son dinner? Don't your kid tell you nothing? The class is given a banquet for the boys and their fathers only. But mothers can come too. And every father is gonna talk about his kid's future profession. What are you gonna say, Riley? What's your boy's future gonna be? I'll think of something. Don't, don't worry about me. I'll see that my boy has a future if it takes me a hundred years. Junior! Junior, did you find that yearbook? Yeah, Pop, I just found it. Oh, Riley, I don't understand you. For months, you don't show the slightest interest in junior school. Then all of a sudden, Look, you get this... Hey, you want our boy to have a future, don't you? Well, I want to see his future on paper. Here's a proof, Pop. It was in my briefcase. Oh, let's see. Uh, uh, oh, here we are. Chester A. Riley, Jr. Activities. Substitute cheerleader. <laughs> cheerleader. For this, I spent $50 to take out your tonsils. 
Gee whiz, Bob. What's all right, with... all right. We let that pass. Let's see what it says about your future profession. Uh, oh, here it is. Future profession. A question mark. <laughs> well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Oh, be reasonable, Riley. It just means Junior hasn't made up his mind yet. Yeah, well, it's time he did. After all, he's 13, and all he's got on his mind are movies, movies, movies. And when you were 13, what did you have on your mind? Why, when I was 13, I... I... Uh, okay, Peg, I admit I was kind of wild when I was 13, and <laughs> you were right not to elope with me. But... <laughs> now, now, tell me, Junior, what do you think you'd like to be, huh? Well, gosh, I, I don't know. Well, but there must be some kind of work you'd like to do. Oh, well... Well, I wouldn't mind a job like yours, I guess. No. Well, that's fine. That That's just dandy. I, I can just hear the horse laugh. I'll get at the school dinner when I get up and say... My son wants to be just like me. But, Junior, think. There must be something you feel you'd like to be. I told you yesterday, Pop. I I just don't know. But you've got to know. What am I going to say at the dinner when they get... Oh, what's the use? Junior, dear, why didn't you tell us about this dinner? You forgot what that is? Yeah, I... No, I... Just didn't think you'd want to go. Well, why shouldn't I want to go? I'm your father, ain't I? You certainly are, dear. <laughs> Thanks for backing me up, Peg. <laughs> now, look, son... Well, excuse me, Pop. I gotta wash up for yeah, supper. Yeah, but, but I want to... Oh, Peg, we might as well face it. Our boy is a failure. It takes some men 50 years to become a failure. Junior did it in 13. (laughs) Now, it isn't that serious, but he's still a baby. Got plenty of time to decide later on when he's in college. It's too late, then. He's got to have talent now. If I only knew what it was, I could build it up. Now, 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 if he wanted to be, let's say, an artist, I'd I'd give him paints to play around with. Or, Or if he wanted to be a writer, I'd give him pencils and paper. Or if he wanted to be a banker, I'd give him... I don't want him to be a banker, right? He'll decide when the time comes. You know, Peg, talent runs in families. Maybe Junior... Let's see now. uh, Whoever amounted to anything on my side of the family. uh, Well, let's look at your side of the family. But my father had a second cousin who was a great surgeon. No kidding? Yes, Ezra Barker. He was very famous. Hey, maybe Junior takes after him. Oh. Don't be silly. Well, why not? Surgery, that could be his talent. Only it's hidden. But I'll find out if it's there. Well, what are you going to do? Let Junior take out your appendix? Oh, please. Now, don't be ridiculous. You know I had my appendix out a year ago. But you've still got yours. (laughs) I I, I, I mean, I'll think of something. Don't worry. I'll think of something. Oh, this soup was delicious. Nice and tender. Uh, please pass the olives, Pop. Yeah, here, son. Well, here we are. Oh, roast chicken, my favorite dish. Here, you carve, Riley. Yeah, it'll be a pleasure. It's a carving knife, Pop. Thanks, son. I... Uh, wait a minute. What's the matter? Why are you staring at me, Pop? Peg, look. Look at Junior's fingers. Well, I washed them. No. No, I mean, they're so long and slender and delicate. Oh, go on and carve, Riley. No. Junior, you carve. 
Me? Now, Riley... Now, Peg, I know what I'm doing. Go on, Doctor. Uh, <laughs> uh, junior? Okay. Now, I always wanted a car. You did? You see, Peg, I was right. Go ahead, grab that scalpel and start operating, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> okay, nurse. What'll you have, Mom? Oh, I'd like the leg, dear. I'll have a wing. Take some white meat for yourself, Junior. Yeah, okay. Well, here goes. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, this chicken's tough. Why, it yeah. is not. It's like butter. Yeah, well, well, Junior, don't tear the leg off like that. If that was a human being on that platter, he'd resent it. <laughs> I guess I'm not very good at this. No, no, no. Don't say that, Doc. You're good. You're good. Here's yours, Mom. Thanks, dear. Here, Pop. Here's the wing. The wing? You call this the wing? Why, this is the fine surgeon you turned out to be. surgeon, the way he was tearing at that poor chicken. Oh, forget it, will you? That's all you've been harping about for the last hour. I can't forget it. A father's got a duty to his kid. Junior's going to amount to something if I... Where, where is he, anyway? Oh, now leave him alone. He's in his room reading. Reading? Oh, that. Well, he's got some new book about big game hunting in Africa. No kidding. He's interested in that? <laughs> I guess so. He's had his nose stuck in that book for a week. Well, that's it. A big game hunter. That's what he'll be. Oh, for heaven's sake. That's even better than being a doctor. He'll bring him back alive. <laughs> There's a fortune in it. Oh, stop dreaming. Another Frank Buck. That's a real profession. Just think, Peg. He'll go all over the world, stalking elephants, trapping lions, shooting tigers. You know, that takes guts. It takes real courage. Oh, for, oh, uh, oh, uh, well, it's, 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 well, it's, Junior. Junior, what's the matter? Oh, Junior! Junior, why are you standing on a bureau? There's a mouse in my room. <laughs> what a revolting development this is. <laughs> well, Riley, did you figure out what you're going to say at the father and son dinner? Well, I, uh... I, I, I ain't sure I'm going, Gillis. Something came up and I... I oh, I see. Too yeah. bad, pal. Well, I got my speech all wrote. And afterwards, my egg bite is going to perform one of his chemical experiments. Okay, Gillis. Okay. Yes, sir. Right in front of all them people. Egg bite will take a test tube, a couple of chemicals, figure out a secret formula, and invent iodine. <laughs> or maybe bicarbonate of soda. Yeah, I... I... Yes, you were right, Gillis. Junior's got no ambition. He don't show no interest in anything. So what? I wouldn't worry about it. But just to be on the safe side, I'd have the kid's head examined. What? Are you hinting there's something wrong with my junior? Oh, no, no, no. Nothing like that. But you know, kids his age get these here uh, complexes. What I meant was, maybe you ought to have him psycho-analyzed. Uh, uh, you know, like in the movies, Gregory Peck lays down on the couch... And Ingrid Bergman finds out what's going on in his noodle. That's enough, Gillis. I ain't going to stand here and let you insult my junior. Okay, you... okay. Just giving you a friend. There's nothing wrong with my junior. He's just as normal as I am. I'd better have that kid psychoalkalized. <laughs> Riley, I'm going over to Mrs. Benny's for a minute. Will you... Riley? 
What on earth are you doing? I'm reading. Well, what's the matter? Didn't you ever see a guy read a book before? Well, yes, but you haven't touched a book since last summer when you wanted to press that flower. Oh, what book is it? Oh, it's just something I picked up in the library. It's... Well, let me see. Oh, go peg you. Oh, an introduction to psychoanalysis by Dr. Sigmund Freud. What do you want with that? Nothing special. I'm just in the mood for a little light reading. That's all. <laughs> all right, dear. You go right on with your reading. I'll wake you up when I get back. Bye. Uh, where was I? Oh, here. Uh, case Y. Patient was 14-year-old boy suffering from complex neuroses during adolescence. Well, Junior's almost 14. Let's see now. Chief symptoms, indecision, vaccination, uh, vaccination, sense of inferiority, lack of interest. Oh, that's Junior's case exactly. Analysis revealed basic cause to be an octopus complex <laughs> and a deep-rooted hatred of his father. Oh, no. He hates me. He hates me. How could he hate me when I'm so lovable? <laughs> However, complete cure was affected by inducing patients to talk freely and frankly admit this father hatred. Once this mental block was removed, patient became normal and adjusted and today is outstanding attorney. Imagine that. Just because the kid admitted he hated his father... Junior, come in here. Did you call me, Pop? Yes, I did. Junior, lay down. The what? I said lay down over there on the couch. Oh, but I'm not tired. Do as I say. Lay down. Remember, I'm your father. Okay, I'll lie down. Now, now tell me, son, who's your father? My what? Don't get up. Lay there. Now, come on. Who's your father? For you are. Uh-huh. Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> now, uh, how do you feel about me, son? How do I feel? Yeah, you hate me, don't you? Who, me? Oh, of course not. Come on, come on, admit it. Say you hate me. But I don't hate you. Now, don't be stubborn, Junior. Before I'm through with you, you'll hate me. <laughs> Let me up, will you, Pop? You're sitting on me. <laughs> no, I ain't getting off you till you're cured. Now, come on, talk freely. Admit you hate me and you'll make me the happiest man in the world. But I don't hate you, Pop. I love you. You don't love me. You hate me. Goodness, what's all the shouting about? Oh, Peg, we might as well face it. Junior loves me. <laughs> it's a hopeless case. Hello, Peg. Oh, hello, dear. You're home early. Well, tonight's the school banquet. I got to straighten some things out. Where's Junior? He's in his room. Now, you leave Junior alone, Dr. Freud. He's my boy, too, and I'm not worried about his future. Yeah, but what'll I say at that dinner tonight? What you always say at dinner, more meat, please. <laughs> but the speech, all oh, the other fathers will make a speech, and I'll be speechless. Oh, so what? Now, go on, get dressed. It's late. I ain't going. You're not going? No. All right, then don't go. I'll go alone with Junior. Oh, well, say, Mom, can you let me have two spools of thread and a needle and your scissors? Well, it's in my sewing basket in my room, dear. What do you want it for? Well, I got an idea to make something. Uh, some son I got. Instead of taking chemicals and inventing something, he plays around with needles and thread. Guess we're raising a tailor. <laughs> some profession. Well, what's wrong with being a tailor? Why, hey. Hey, that's right. There's nothing wrong with it. 
Only not a tailor, a dress designer. Maybe that's his talent. Oh, now don't Hank, I got it. a feeling this is it. A dress designer. Oh. Why, there's a fortune in it. He'll have a saloon in Paris and a saloon in New York. It's salon. And just think, when all them young society debutantes come out, they'll come out of his dressing. <laughs> oh, he'll be famous. What a thrill when you and me go to Paris and we look up and we see the big sign with his name, our son, Madam Junior Riley. <laughs> Come down to earth, will you? Just because he asked for a needle and thread doesn't mean... No, I'll... this time I got a hunch. Come on. Let's go see what our little genius is creating. Huh? Riley, I- I've got to finish. No, come on. Like this. this is more important. Oh, hey, Madam Junior. Wh- huh? Uh, show your mother and me your creation. My what? What you made with the needle and thread. Oh, no, I... Now, come on. Don't be so modest. Show us. Okay. Look. Isn't that the most... Is that what you made? What on earth is it? It's a (laughs) yo-yo. Our little genius made a (laughs) yo-yo. Fine son I got. I depend on him and he lets me down. Well, I learned my lesson. This is the last time anybody will ever let me down. I wouldn't be too sure of that. Who's that? It is I, Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker. (laughs) Going my way? Why, I don't know. Where are you going, Digger? Into the school there. To the father and son dinner. I'm going to deliver a little eulogy about my son, Marblestone. (laughs) He's already inside, waiting for the services to begin. Uh, you, you've got a fine boy there, Digger. Oh, he adores me. He worships the very ground I work in. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, tell me, Digger, have you found out what his profession is going to be? Ah, yes. I've known ever since he was three years old. One day at the beach, he buried me in the sand. <laughs> well, yeah, but that don't prove nothing, He Digger. buried me six feet deep. <laughs> That's good enough for me. <laughs> Well, I don't know what's the matter with my junior. He never never buried me. He's got no interest. Not even a hobby. Oh, everyone should have a hobby. Now, me, I'm an animal man myself. I love to watch the gophers making their little mounds. Beautiful technique. I love to watch a turtle when it's flat on its back. But best of all, I love to sit near a lily pond and watch the frogs croak. Come, Riley, we'll be late for the festivities. No, I, I ain't going in. Peg's going with Junior, but I ain't going. I ain't got nothing to say. Riley, I despise cowards. Digger, you really think I ought to go? When Odell says you've got to go, you go. <laughs> okay. In that case, we'd better be shoveling off. <laughs> I leave you with this thought. My 30 years as a teacher and principal have convinced me of the truth of the old saying, the boy is father to the man. Oh, the principal's a wonderful teacher, isn't he, Junior? Yeah, he's okay for a principal. Hello, Peg. 
Riley, I'm so glad you came, dear. Hiya, Pa. Here's a chair. Sit down. And uh, now we're going to hear from another proud father, Mr. James Madison Gillis. Oh, I, I hope they won't ask me to speak. Don't worry, they won't ask you unless you tell them you want to speak. Well, I'm not gonna... Mr. Principal, fellow fathers and mothers, I'm sure we all enjoyed the cute little talk the principal just gave us, but now we come to something interesting. Now, I ain't the kind of a father that likes to boast about his kids. I believe that actions speak louder than words. So now, my son, Egbert, is going to perform a very unusual chemical experiment Right before you arrive. Eh, boy? Yes, Papa? <laughs> what are you going to invent, son, with your chemical set? Well, I think I'll make some N-A-C-L. You hear that, folks? He's going to make knuckle. <laughs> oh, Junior, why couldn't you have a knack for making knuckle? <laughs> N-A-C-L is just sodium chloride table salt. Well, go ahead, Egg boy. The floor is yours. Oh, I'm not quite ready yet, Papa. Oh. Well, while we're waiting, we can kill a little time by hearing from one of the other fathers. Uh, uh, oh, oh. How's about my good friend, Riley? No, no, no. No. No, Tell us about your junior's future. No, no, I, I can't. It's a secret. Come on, Riley. Say something. Everybody's staring. Well, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, Mr. Principal, uh, fellow fathers and fellow mothers. <laughs> well, uh... For a long time now, I've been studying my boy, Junior. First, I thought Junior was going to be a... And then it turned out that he wasn't going to be that. And instead, we thought he had talent for... Uh, uh, but we found out he really didn't have talent for... Uh, so, we... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I give you my wife's son, Junior. <laughs> oh, Pop, I don't want to talk. You got it. You want me to be disgraced? Papa, I'm ready now. Oh, Edward's ready now. Okay, buddy, sit down. Yeah, okay. Go ahead, Edward, my dear boy. In this here test tube here, I have some hydrochloric acid here. You hear that, folks? Hydrochloric acid. Go ahead, darling. Now, I take this Bunsen burner here and heat the contents of this test tube here. Observe how it burns with the breath. Oh! Oh, how the fuck oh, it exploded? Eggboy! Oh, hey, 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 let me look at you! Eggboy, hey, darling, what happened to your eyebrows? Oh, my poor Asian, he lost his eyebrows! Papa, my hand got burned. Oh, my hand. Is there a doctor in the house? Get a doctor, quick! Well, he'll be all right, Mr. Gillis. I know what to do. Hey, where's the tannic acid? Oh, here. Now, hold out your hand, Egbert. Yeah, there, there. Now, you'll be all right in a minute. Oh, that feels good, Junior. Here, here, stand aside. I'm a doctor. Let me see that hand. I put tannic acid on it, Doctor. Oh, good. Exactly what I would have done. That was quick thinking, son. You'll make a fine doctor someday. Peg, he'll make a doctor. I'm going to sue the Board of Education for this. But I'm all right now, Papa. Oh, no, you're not all right. I'm going to sue. There must have been something wrong with that Bunsen bite. I'll sue, that's what I'll do. Well, you can't sue, Mr. Gillis. It was Egbert's own Bunsen burner. The school's not responsible. Yeah, the boy's right, Mr. Gillis. You have no case here. Oh, yeah? What do you know about it? Well, aside from being the principal, I also happen to be a lawyer. A lawyer? Well, we'll see about that. I'm taking this case to court. I'll bet you you lose, Mr. Gillis. I'll bet you five to one. Five to one? Peg, Peg. Well, what's the matter? Now I know what Junior's going to be. Hey, everybody, listen. I know what my junior's going to be. He's going to be a doctor, a lawyer, and a bookmaker. 
Riley's will be back in just a moment. For radiant hair, it's Prell, Procter & Gamble's new radiant cream shampoo in a handy tube. Miss Margaret McLean of New York City says... Since I use Prell, my boyfriend says he's never seen my hair so attractive. And it's true. Prell leaves my hair sparkling with radiance. Soft and smooth, easy to care for. Yes, one trial and you'll agree. Prell's amazing for two reasons. One, Prell removes unsightly dandruff quickly. Two, Prell leaves hair radiantly beautiful. You'll sing about... P-R-E-L-L, Prell Shampoo. Leaves hair radiant, gleaming bright. Not a bit of dandruff is in sight. Comes in a tube, handy too. P-R-E-L-L, Prell Shampoo. Oh, I was proud of the way Junior came through tonight. Junior's going to have a great future. Of course he is. Yeah, Junior's okay. You see, we'll be proud of that boy. I'll bet you in ten years he'll be so rich he won't even talk to us. (laughs) Oh, we'll be proud of that boy. (laughs) This is Riley, alias William Bendix. Give gladly. Red Cross served you. In the past year, nearly 400,000 persons were given disaster rehabilitation aid in 46 states, the District of Columbia and Alaska. Red Cross serves you with emergency relief when disaster strikes. Put Red Cross in your budget. Give gladly to the 1948 fund drive. Good night, folks. Campbell invites you to join us again next week to hear The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. The script is by Alan Lipscott and Reuben Ship. Mrs. Riley is Paula Winslow. Digger Odell is John Brown. The Life of Riley is produced by Irving Brecker. Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's yours truly, Johnny Dollar, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.